0: Uh, This is, of course, a very difficult subject to discuss uh, because it is really a very horrible subject uh, when you think about it. Uh, Not only the consequences of, uh, God forbid, nuclear war or nuclear accidents, but even some of the Uh, Consequences uh, that have happened with respect to nuclear power. Uh, Chernobyl, for instance, uh, comes to mind. Uh, And so I I do sit here solemnly. Uh, Sometimes people do ask what is the Islamic perspective on nuclear weapons? This is a subject which I realized as I poked around a bit uh, online, coming here. That actually is not discussed very openly in much of the Islamic community, uh, perhaps with the exception of Pakistan, uh, which does have uh, nuclear weapons. Uh, I did some searching online, I confess, about Islam and nuclear weapons, and the only videos I found were about the nuclear family. Uh, so, this is actually a tremendous gap in what we talk about. Uh, Basically, um, to be fully honest, there are two groups of fatwas among Islamic scholars with respect to the possession of nuclear weapons. Uh, There is, uh, thankfully, a consensus that it is, uh, from the perspective of Islamic law, uh, near consensus at least, uh, forbidden to detonate a nuclear weapon. Uh, For those of us who are familiar with the uh, Islamic law pertaining to uh, the rules of warfare, uh, which is something that is covered in, in our classical texts, uh, it is forbidden to kill civilians, to kill women, to kill children, to kill um, you know people who who don't really have a, a rational ability to participate in or understand the combat. Mutilation of the deceased is prohibited. Uh, poisoning the lands of the enemy is prohibited. You know, killing trees and so forth is prohibited, so obviously it would be a natural outgrowth of that to say it is prohibited to, to detonate a nuclear weapon as well as other forms of uh, weapons of mass destruction. Uh, that being said, uh, there are uh, two sets of views with respect to whether it is allowed to p- uh, possess a weapon or one should even be constructed as a deterrent. Uh, One of the most prominent ones is the one held by Sayyid Khamenei in Iran, where he has said rather unequivocally that it is absolutely against Islamic principles to to have a nuclear weapon and to build one. Because the only purpose of building such an item is uh, the destruction uh, of innocent lives. Uh, And he has repeated this stance um, rather uh, vociferously on a number of occasions. I believe that um, this is a very wise stance. Uh, And of course, we are aware that uh, within the Islamic world, the situation of Iran does uh, attract the most attention uh, and the question of whether or not Iran is pursuing a nuclear program. I would just say in passing, I think that's uh, just a lot of propaganda because Iran has for a very, very long time, and I'm talking about centuries, maybe even thousands of years, it has remained has taken a neutral stance in worldwide conflicts. Uh, it does not initiate wars uh, and I, even if Iran had all the nuclear weapons in the world, I do not think that they would actually, you know, God forbid, start some sort of conflict. I think that's just fear-mongering among some peoples. Uh, but that has been the official stance uh, and it is a stance a number of ulama do share, uh, both inside Iran and outside. Uh, Now, of course, if you want to try to draw a textual basis for this in the Islamic sources, it is a bit more difficult because the classical um, Islamic texts of Islamic law were not formulated at a time when we had things like this. This is in a case of what is referred to as modern fiqh questions or or new fiqh questions. Uh, But, you know, in addition to the principles I mentioned, there are some general uh, ideas and verses of the Holy Quran that are brought up. Uh, One of them in which the Holy Quran instructs people to do good, this this is actually mentioned under. some of the fatwas, uh, Allah Allah loves those who do good, and it is argued that obviously this is the antithesis of doing good, creating uh, biological, chemical, uh, and nuclear weapons. Uh, As well as the verse that Brother Masumi, whoever he is, was reciting a bit earlier, um, that if you kill uh, the soul which God has made sacred, it's as if you have killed all of humanity. And so uh, these are some very basic and I think very um, authentic arguments in the Islamic tradition for why one should not even go down the path of producing such things. Um, As well as, of course, the basic jurisprudential argument with respect to the fiqh of Islamic law. Uh, and this, of course, is not a stance that is limited to Muslims. Many of us are aware that the Pope has taken the very strong moral stance that there is no excuse in today's world to be building this sort of thing. Uh, there is no more moral argument for nuclear deterrence. Uh, there's nothing that minimally just minimally justifies the possession of nuclear weapons. And the piece of a sort that's supposed to justify nuclear deterrence is illusory. Uh, That's the view from the Pope, which very much reflects uh, the views of a number of our ulama. However, there are some people in the Islamic world, I'm just going to be honest, uh, some people from Al-Azhar, for example, who have argued for the validity of constructing uh, nuclear weapons as a deterrent. They cite the verse of the Holy Quran advising uh, people to maintain an army as a defensive strategy. The idea being, if you have an army, you're less likely to have to use it. Uh, So that view does exist. I'm not going to deny that it does. And of course, as I mentioned, uh, there is a Muslim country, that is say Pakistan, which has been pursuing a nuclear program. Uh, But instead, I'd like to uh, sort of zoom in on that view a bit more and bring up a few issues that usually don't come up uh, when we discuss this subject, because many times it's simply left as that, the concept of a nuclear deterrent. Uh, and the first question I'd like to bring up is, well, is there actually validity to the theory of nuclear deterrence? And uh, no, obviously those of us who grew up during the Cold War, picking out faces from the audience. Um, I mean, I, I was a teenager when the USSR broke up, uh, which I guess dates me. But those of us who grew up during that time, we did grow up under the assumption that it is somehow necessary for a country to, to have this sort of power in order to prevent the use of nuclear weapons. I mean, we all understood it was something horrible. No one wants them in the world. But this was the reality. Uh, Since then, uh, I'm pleased to report that humanity has actually matured. And a number of people who spoke out uh, very strongly for the importance uh, of nuclear deterrence uh, during that era have since then retracted their viewpoints. And there seems to be a growing consensus that, first of all, Uh, Having um, weapons of mass destruction is not actually a deterrent to war at all. I mean, you look at the United States, for example, uh, which has an enormous nuclear arsenal. It still has gone to war. It still has had uh, a number of casualties among soldiers. It is simply that the nature of war has changed. uh, And that probably will continue to be a trend in the future. So simply having uh, overpowered weapons is not enough to ensure your security or even your global dominance. Um, So the idea that these weapons actually function as a military deterrent has been questioned. And of course, there it is the point that's oftentimes brought up, that the bigger threat in our world nowadays is not just someone pushing the button, because hopefully we're all intelligent enough to know that's wrong. But there are other things that can go wrong. Uh, Theft by terrorist groups or rogue organizations, for example, which don't necessarily have a target that you can attack and say, this is your capital that I'm going to be Uh, dropping my weapons on. Uh, Also, um, if you do look at what um, did transpire during the Cold War, there are some things that are genuinely disturbing. Uh, There are weapons that the United States, I mean nuclear warheads, uh, admits that it has lost. Um, Losing a nuclear weapon is not really a good thing. Uh, There's nuclear warheads in the ocean. Uh, There's nuclear warheads that were accidentally dropped on the United States. So there are things that have gone wrong. When you have any technology, there is the possibility of it going wrong. Uh, And one of the things, one of the Islamic principles we don't always talk about a lot is the Holy Quran encourages us to use our brains. Uh, And we can start to extrapolate 50 years, 100 years, 200 years, 500 years. These things are not going to go away. Uh, the USSR has broken up. At some point, probably, the United States will broke it, break up. It may be a thousand years, even two thousand years. It, it's natural. It will happen someday. Uh, what will happen to all of this weaponry? Uh, what will happen if it's not properly maintained? Even we think about uh, nuclear waste today, and incidentally, I'm not trying to make a full stance against nuclear power, but I do think we haven't yet sorted out all of the safety and environmental issues in a way that we can really Uh, feel comfortable with it, Uh, you know, burying nuclear waste uh, in salt flats is not, um, I don't think it's a long-term ideal solution. We still have a bit further to go before uh, I think we can really fully embrace all of these technologies. Uh, So in any case, there is a sort of uh, looking to the future that we should be doing, and uh, that is done too by a number of people, and and I think it's safe to say that uh, Many people do feel that even if one is looking from the perspective of national security, the risks outweigh the gains. Uh, And I'm incidentally talking about this from the frame of reference of somewhere like the United States, which is relatively economically secure, uh, has a very high level of um, technology, a lot of uh, institutional resources, military resources, university resources. Let's be honest, um, a lot of our countries in the Muslim world do not necessarily have all of those resources. Uh, a lot of times there's cutting corners uh, in construction and in other things, which makes it all the more uh, frightening. Uh, so the argument that uh, it might be justified for the sake of national security to um, prevent an attack uh, did not really hold up nowadays. There are a lot of people who will argue against it. Uh, there is of course the you know, ethical slash political question of who does have the right to determine who has nuclear weapons. And I just do want to touch on that briefly. Uh, There is a a precedent in Islamic thought for the importance of international law, the importance of uh, adhering to treaties. Uh, And I do think that as a globalized agreement, which which we have nowadays anyway, um, it is fair and valid to make a general uh, agreement among countries that these sorts of things should not be pursued. Uh, But of course the idea that one country uh, appoints itself as a policeman and tells another country what to do uh, is problematic insofar as I do believe one fundamental aspect of Islamic political thought is the the right to self-definition of a nation-state, that you don't have one nation-state telling others what to do. Uh, another aspect of Islamic uh, ethics, really, that is oftentimes not brought up is the environmental issue. The Holy Quran does uh, describe the role of human beings as uh, you know, responsible Khalifas, responsible caretakers for the earth. Uh, and many times when we have this discussion, we don't necessarily bring in the environmental aspect of the production of nuclear weapons. I mean, whether you're talking about uranium mining or production facilities, maintenance facilities. Uh, and, and it's not only with respect to nuclear weapons too, but there is um, this is also another thing that really needs to be taken into the picture. Uh, not the least because in this day and age, uh, as with so many other environmentally destructive issues, it does become an issue of the um, the privileging of first world countries and the outsourcing of uh, environmentally destructive material to third world countries. Uh, and of course, I mean, we see this in the industrial complex as a whole, Uh, Whereas today, for example, most of the uranium mining (coughs) takes place in Kazakhstan. It doesn't take place in Los Angeles or New York or somewhere else. Uh, And this sort of, uh, again, institutionalized inequity uh, in the world, which is a reflection of general inequities in the globalized system we have today, uh, is also at odds with the general uh, Islamic socio-political ethos. Um, And so that's something that should be taken into consideration as well. And that's something the Pope, in my view, has alluded to. Uh, And he's also said that prioritizing spending on such things um, basically just makes the poor and the weak suffer in society. That when you have people who are hungry or who have basic needs, such as infrastructure or education, it's not morally justified to uh, slot money into other things as well. Uh, So I do believe that the environmental aspect should also be taken into consideration as well as the the general uh, viewpoint with respect to um, global equity. Uh, These issues are also important when looking at an Islamic view of the subject. Uh, I do fear that this generation today in general, and I'm not speaking about Muslim youth or this youth or that youth, but just in general, uh, ironically, because this generation is growing up without the threat of nuclear war the way uh, some of us did, I feel sometimes they don't take it as seriously. Uh, For example, many of them have never heard of concepts such as nuclear winter. They don't understand that if if bombs are detonated in one part of the world, that will affect other parts of the world. And so I do think it is important to to let them know about these things, to bring these things up. I did at one point teach physics, and we do have to teach uh, a brief introduction to nuclear physics. Uh, And I did make an effort to spend a day on these subjects, uh, as well as going through things such as what were some of the human costs uh, of the disaster at Chernobyl, what was it like for people who actually endured severe radiation sickness, what is it that they they said it felt like, and this is something which is very chilling. Like I said, it is very disturbing, Uh, but nonetheless, I think it is very important. Uh, I would like to leave with a different selection from the Holy Quran. Uh, Maybe not necessarily the verse that would come to everyone's minds when we think about discussing this subject. Uh, But I think it does uh, really encapsulate an essential part of the human condition. Uh, It says that when your Lord Lord spoke to the angels uh, and told them, I'm going to place my representative on earth. Uh, And the angel said, to God, are you going to place someone on earth who will cause corruption in it and who will shed blood and we, meaning the angels, uh, are praising you and uh, glorifying you and respecting your sanctity. Uh, And God said to the angels, I know something that you do not. This, I think, is basically the human condition. Um, There are a lot of things which uh, I think are very ingrained in the human nature which do cause a lot of suffering on earth. Um, as indicated by the verses that Brother Masumi was reciting, you know, the instinct to kill, to fight, the tribalist instinct, these are things which re- are very much embedded in many people, and these are things which some people do have to struggle against. Uh, but at the same time, there is a tremendous human potential to overcome that, uh, and to do things which um, you know, to reach a height that perhaps could not even be imagined, in this case, imagined by the angels, according to the Quranic text. And I think that is something that can inspire us. So thank you very much.